Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, here we go. We're one day later than usual, but it's the 27th of February. I don't know. I think any time we're near the beginning of the week, it's a bit of a win, considering how varied we've been from time to time. No, I think it's fine. It's got to work around our schedules, hasn't it? I think so. We, and let's face it, the listeners will get an episode and we'll make, get to get to chat to each other for over an hour. So I think it's a, it's a win-win anyway. Yeah, no, you're right. Let's, well, shall we get straight into it then? So follow up. I'm going to go first because you asked me to make some icons and I made some icons. Hopefully they look okay. I was trying to keep in the colour palette and I did them on my iPad, believe it or not. I do believe it. They do look good. Thank you for turning them around and getting them to me. Hopefully the listeners will notice them in the relevant section of the show. It means I've got to change my edit slightly. So you have actually made work for me at the same time, but I do appreciate it. It'll look good. I think that's where they say it's careful what you wish for. Yeah, be careful you don't get what you wish for, for sure. For me, I haven't done my follow-up. We had a listener question just as we finished the show last week, which I will read out this week and then address next week, actually, because it involves a bit of work for me. And then I was going to look into IDOS, the application I mentioned last week, to see if I could get it running on my iPad, and I haven't had a chance to do that either. I have had a rather busy week, and I hope to get it done next week, all things being equal. I'm not sure what I do with IDOS on my iPad, but anyway, you can report back. We had that decision. You're going to play Civilization 2. Oh yeah, that was it. I'll, I'll be up for that. <laughs> I'll tell you how to do it. I think, I hope, I'd, I've definitely got a copy of Civilization 2 somewhere, probably in my parents' house on two floppy disks, I think it came on. So I have got, got a version of it somewhere, but I think it's actually Abandonware at this point. I'm trying to even remember when that came out. I remember playing it a lot. But was that the one that was Windows 3.1? It might have been. The original Civ was DOS. I remember that because yeah. I remember editing auto-exec files and batch files and things to get it to run in more than like four colors. Yeah, I think Civ 2 might have been like a Windows 3.1 game. See, that shows our PC beginnings, both of us actually, because I'm sure there was a Mac version of Civilization 2 that didn't need any of that. And there was definitely an Amiga version of Civilization 2 that I remember playing. It was super slow. I remember that. I do kind of want to go and play some Civ, but... I just I just know it's a time sink, and there's so many versions. And I do own one on my Nintendo Switch, I think, and probably on my iPad as well. Yeah, I've got Civ 6 for the iPad, and I've got Civs 3, 4, 5, and 6, I think, on Steam. You, you are committed. Yeah, there was a rumour, This we're, we're verging into games and we're not even out of follow-up yet, that Civ 7 is in planning from Firaxis. It, certainly it's being written at the moment, so maybe another Civ soon. It's, it's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, I was reading, and I should have put it in the show notes, I was reading an article, it was like the top 100 games, strategy games, and all the civs were in it, basically. It was really interesting. Commander Conquer was in there, but could you guess what the number one strategy game was? Like PC strategy game, point and click. So you've got civs, Commander Conquer, June 2 was in there. I saw this. This was on Rock, Paper, Shotgun, wasn't it? And I can't remember what the top one was. Yeah, It was on Rock, Paper, Shotgun. And it's a game that I should have loved, but for some reason, I don't know why, I never really got into it. And what, do you know what it was? What was it? Total Annihilation. Oh, no. I, I sunk a lot of time into Total Annihilation. So my friends did, and we all played Command & Conquer together, and then Total Annihilation came to But I think I might have had a girlfriend at the time, and so therefore, <laughs> which is now my wife. And I just think my, my world just changed a little bit, and that... They were still single, so I think that's why they sunk a lot of time into it. But I never really got into TA, Total Annihilation. So I was interested in number one, and I, I, I felt a bit robbed, if I'm honest, because it wasn't number one for me. But I could see how Civ was in there, and Age of Empires 2 scored very highly, which was a fantastic game. So it, it was, And you're right, it was on Rock, Paper, Shotgun, which you've got me into. I was just having a click around and thinking I should fire up my gaming laptop. 
thing. I say gaming laptop. It's an old works laptop that I bought and gave some money to charity for, and it runs Steam on it and a few other things. But it did make me want to go and play some old strategy games. Yeah, Total Annihilation was a was a top game, and there was a couple of, of sequels to it as well that were never quite as good as the original, but it was so big with so many units on the screen. Yeah, it was quite a thing. Yeah, it's, it's a bit cussing saying Canna had a girlfriend. That's that's interesting, and a, a, a horrifying look into geekdom and nerddom and, and all that kind of stuff. I think we should probably move swiftly along from that. Moving along, so into the news then. So the first one I've put in here was just Nintendo. They're not going to attend E3 this year, which I'm a little bit disappointed about because I was... I was listening to a podcast called a podcast called Remaster, and they were about games they're looking forward to coming up this year. And there's not really much coming out on the Switch unless you count Zelda, whatever the new Breath of the Wild is going to be. But I never really got into into that. It was too much of a, a time sink for me. So I'm, I'm a bit disappointed Nintendo aren't there. I guess it means there's no follow-up to the Switch coming immediately. I know we've got some news about that. But also it means that, come on, I want another Super Mario Odyssey. Where's Mario Odyssey 2? That would be fantastic. I love that game. Fair enough. So for those that don't know, E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's a a computer games and electronic entertainment show that's held in Las Vegas, I want to say, generally. It takes over Las Vegas. And all the big game companies used to go. It used to cost them horrifying amounts of money. Microsoft would be there, Sony would be there, Nintendo, all the publishers, everybody. And Nintendo announcing they won't go. A, I think I agree with you. It probably means they've got nothing new this year, particularly. And B... It follows a trend, because I'm pretty sure Sony stopped going a couple of years back as well. Just because they're big enough, in the same way Apple has its own events, that they can do this without having to go and spend a lot of money at a conference. The return on which is knackering your staff, losing production from your members of your development team, probably getting COVID these days, and, and all the sort of things that go along with it. So I kind of see this having a showcase where the journalists come at you. It's not a bad thing. True, and I guess you're right, Nintendo do do their Nintendo Directs, which is usually anything from 10 minutes to an hour where they showcase games that are coming up and they usually do quite a quick run-through or any major updates that are coming. But I don't know, I was just a little disappointed. But I guess, though, the big one is they don't need to run on somebody else's timeline. They can do an update when they want to do the update, a bit like Apple, as you say. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's a bad thing. But then, in our second Nintendo-related story, it looks like the UK government has actually kind of pre-announced the next Nintendo console for them. Did you see this story? Yeah, I did read it when you, when you sent it over, so I had to look around. But it doesn't say what the name is. I was like, oh, because they, they've redacted the name. But it must be... Obviously, Nintendo must have raised it as part of the case then that it's not going to work on the Switch. And you would have thought they'd have just said and future console to the UK government and not the name of it. It seemed a bit odd to me. Yeah, so this is interesting. It's a story in Ars Technica from our, our old friends at the Competition and Markets Authority who more and more we talk about them every week, it seems, actually. So there's a telltale chart that Nintendo had obviously given the CMA where there's a, a picture of the, the Nintendo DS and the Wii from 2004 to 2006. There's integrated hardware software for the Nintendo Switch for 2017. Six years old now, the Switch is cracking on a bit. And then integrated hardware software, next gaming system, 20XX. So all this tells you is there's going to be another bit of Nintendo hardware before the end of the decade, really. Well, which is news, but it's not major news, is it? Well, if you think about it, so I mean, we can we may as well sort of blur into our next story here as well, because I think the two things are related. Microsoft has signed a binding Call of Duty deal with Nintendo ahead of the EU Activision hearing. So this is what we've been talking about for a while. CMA doesn't really want or is investigating the sale of Activision Blizzard to Microsoft. That ongoing thing is, will Call of Duty be supported on alternative platforms? 
Obviously, Microsoft are committing for a 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. Now, as you pointed out on this very podcast, the last time Call of Duty was on Nintendo was on the Wii back in 2000. So, you know, it's this is a pretty clear declaration of intent that either Nintendo are going to bring a very botched, reduced version of Call of Duty Warzone or Warzone 2 to the Switch, which will be an unpleasant experience given that every other next generation console and PC runs it to at least HD and probably 4K in the case of the Xbox Series X and the PS5. So giving a shoddy thing for the next 10 years on the Switch seems unlikely. So I suspect there's Nintendo hardware on the way. I'm really curious to know because I think this has done Nintendo some good. It's got people talking a little bit. There's, you know, there's no actual tantalizing information, but there's just a smell that a new console is coming and there's nothing quite like a new console coming. And it would be great for Nintendo to do it at a point where Microsoft and Sony are in their, you know, they're in the middle of their console release in essence. I think, what, two and a half years? I think I've had my PS5 now because it came out in November 2020. So, you know, they're well into that. Microsoft well into the S and the X. So it'd be a great time for Nintendo to do it on their own cadence and not being wrapped up in the next-gen wars with Microsoft and Sony, which Nintendo don't, they're not really in, are they, to be fair? I mean, they're, they're just marching to their own beat, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see. I, I think this is one area of the market where there is competition between the three main players and the PC off to one side, which is largely Microsoft, despite all the stuff I report about Linux gaming now being a thing and the Steam Deck and all the rest of it. It's a three-horse race, isn't it? It's Microsoft, Sony, and it's Nintendo as platform providers, certainly. So this is good. I've got a Switch. It's sitting over my left shoulder now and gathering dust. I can honestly say it's not a thing I pick up an awful lot. You're shaking your head. It was fun, I'd say, six years ago when the kids were little and we played some Mario Kart. Your kids are of an age where it's probably still fun. But for a adult gaming experience, it's not for me. It doesn't give me all the things I want to do. I bet you £10 you can't guess what game they're playing on it at the moment. It's probably Mario Kart. Farming Simulator 19. And they love it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's where we've watched a bit of Clarkson's Farm lately. But we had a copy of Farming Simulator on it. And they are, both of them, 9 and 11-year-old, playing a bit of Farming Simulator. I then had to go and get it on their iPads for them. It's not as good on the iPad, but it is much better on the Switch. But just interesting that that is the game they choose to play. After all that first-party Nintendo stuff I've got on there, because I share it with my children, and they're playing Farming Simulator. So there you go. That is amazing. I did see there was a Nintendo event, gaming event, two weeks ago, I think, and I saw a lot of the people I follow on Mastodon saying some Metroid game had been reissued for the Switch, Metroid Prime possibly or something. One of the ones that was on Wii or Wii U, and it was a big deal that it had been re-released and they were all talking about it, they were all very excited. But it's a 70 quid game, reissue, remaster of you know a game that's five or six years old. I'll have to pull out. We should really have done this in the gaming section, but it is interesting, it's good to see you. I'm glad to see you. You're getting all excited, I can see you googling frantically. I completely missed all this. So Metroid Prime Remastered is out on the Switch and it's only $34.99 in the UK. What a win. Do you know what though? $34.99 feels quite cheap at the moment for a brand new game. No. Brand new game in, in speech marks. Yeah, this is the problem with being a Steam gamer is that if it's over 20 quid, I think it's expensive. I did pay full whack for Call of Duty and that felt an awful lot of money, i got to say. Games are 70 quid if you buy them the day they come out. But if this is something you're excited about, how old is Metroid Prime? I'm going to say Nintendo Wii. Right. So... I mean, that's older than my kids, so it's going to be about 14 years old, give or take. 2006, 2007, something like that. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Oh, well. Well done, Nintendo. It's, uh, it's good to see you still got a pulse and uh, you're giving a bit of competition. 
They're, they're playing to the to that, that the, the processing power in that console, though, aren't they? <laughs> Releasing a 15-year-old game on it. Yeah. Anyway, should we move on? Moving on. Let's talk about Microsoft, because it's a nice segue from talking about Microsoft and the CMA and Activision Blizzard to some dirty tricks that they've been trying out. So this is a story in the register about Microsoft hijacking Google's Chrome download page to beg you not to ditch Edge. And I see quite a lot of this, actually, when you go and try and when you've got a new Windows install and you go and think, right, the first thing most people do is they fire up Edge to download Chrome or Firefox or something else. And it goes, no, 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 please don't do that. Edge is great. But this time, they're, they're actually hijacking the browser page. Microsoft Edge has been spotted inserting a banner into the Chrome download page on Google.com, begging people to stick with the Windows giant browser. This is horrible. It's clever, but horrible. You can you can imagine a techie coming up with this game that we could do this, and then going, oh yeah, why wouldn't we do that? But it's not it's not good. I'm it's, sorry, that's a bad look. It's a very bad look, and you know they're the dominant platform vendor for the desktop. The fact that you're not running a browser really is neither here nor there. I know that I know the future of the internet is the browser. It doesn't matter really. But this is still, I just, it's, this is back to Microsoft's old mono, monopolistic ways, really, as much as anything that, you know, no, no, don't do that. Stick to what we've got. Stay in our little ecosystem. We don't want you elsewhere. Not a good look. No, I don't think it is. It reminds me a bit of where Apple's been going lately, though, with trying to just advertise stuff within system settings or within the app store. I I just don't think it's very nice. I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. There was, I mean, to, for a bit of balance, there was a bit of uproar in the Linux world recently where Canonical, the company that make Ubuntu, was putting, I think we even talked about it on the podcast actually, was putting a small advert in the terminal. You'd launch the terminal, it would say, get Ubuntu services or something to get sort of extend your support with, with Canonical. And that went down really badly as well. But in the Linux world, Linux people will just install another desktop. You know, or another distro. They'll go and install Fedora, or they'll go and install Arch, or something else. That they're going to move really quickly. There's not a lot to keep you sticky in one platform in Linux. Yeah, I guess that is the thing. You can literally take your take your ball and go and play somewhere else. Yeah, and, and it's still round, and you've only got a couple of dependencies. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, naughty Microsoft. Next story is yours. Yeah. So the next one was mine. I just popped this in there because I'm, I'm quite into security. I think as we've discussed before, and. What's happening here is people are watching an iPhone user, I guess, or an Android user put their PIN code in and then steam their phone. And then obviously, if you know somebody's PIN code, you can get quite a long way into using that device. And I just thought it's quite interesting because I don't know about you, but when I've been going to various cities in the UK lately, I haven't really worried about I've got my iPhone on me. Everybody's got an iPhone. I've got my AirPods on. I just feel quite comfortable about it. Don't think really anyone's going to steal it because they're quite robust. But I hadn't seen this and I didn't know whether you had. It feels like yeah, people are stealing devices. Whereas it used to be people used to steal your your iPod, sorry, because you had the white earbuds on. And that's when iPods were costing, say, two, three, four hundred pounds 15 years ago. It would make you a target for thieves. And it seems like we're having another repeat of that. But it's interesting, yeah, thieves are obviously getting a lot more comprehensive so they can get your, your PIN code. What I don't know, though, is how much you can do on just the PIN code alone, because surely that gets you into the phone. But then I wonder if you can then reset the person's iCloud password so you can then wipe the phone and sell it. Because at the moment when you erase your phone, it normally asks you for both your PIN code and then your your iCloud account password so you can unlink it from Find My, Find My being the, the way that you can track your phone. So I wonder if this is what people are doing with it because then they could do a password reset, get the email sent to the mail app and then and go through the motions for the iCloud account. 
It's probably all of the above, isn't it? That you, you could get recovery set keys sent to it by text message. You could do all that kind of stuff. You could use their any linked cards for the duration that it would take them to sort of get the phone denied. So you could go off and buy some stuff if there was Apple Pay on the device. There's lots of bits and pieces you could do with just being having access to the PIN code. And lots of, I think particularly in America, we've seen from the Twitter SMS two-factor authentication thing that's been going on recently, that... They still use text messages to authenticate you are who you are. So having your phone and having it unlocked and being able to get in it and do stuff is quite a big deal. So it's quite nasty, i got to say. It's not surprising as a development that thieves would be watching you bash your your your, your, your pin code into the phone. I mean, it's interesting. You think on an iPhone, most people would actually use a face recognition, wouldn't they? But there are yeah, a- but even, yeah. even then, though, it does ask you every now and again to put your pin in. And you see a lot of people with Touch ID that it doesn't recognize them, so they just put their pin code in because it hasn't picked up their thermal. They can't remember which finger they used. But do you know what I found really interesting on this article? Apple actually responded, which seems a bit odd because they don't seem to respond to many things. And so they actually responded halfway down on, on the link in the notes. And they said they sympathize with users who've had this experience and we take all attacks on our users very seriously, no matter how rare. And then they said, we will continue to advance the protections to help keep user accounts secure. But they didn't elaborate any more on that. So it's quite a woolly statement. But it was just interesting that they acknowledged it because Apple are quite famed for completely just ignoring anything like this. Yeah, it is interesting that they responded. And I guess my other thing would be, don't store passwords in notes on your iPhone. Because if you can get into the phone, you can get it. And then the chances are you're going to be able to get in a little bit further. So, you know, make use of another application like one password or another one like that. Or, or if you are going to use notes, I think you can lock them further with a, with a password as well, can't you? So I, I think there's a few steps you should take beyond just having the pin code on the phone. You can, and then it will use Face ID to unlock the note. And you can do the same with numbers and pages, I believe. Yeah, so that that's a thought. Just while you were talking there, there was a story just came out on 9to5Mac about something similar happening, happening in New York City where people are wearing AirPods Max, and I'm looking at you in the camera now, you know, wearing your AirPods Max, just having them whipped off their heads by people on motorcycles and scooters and things like that. So it's gonna, they'd go quite easily, wouldn't they? And they're quite recognisable. Yeah, and they are two and a half years old, though, so I'm surprised this is now a phenomena when, like I say, they're quite an old device now, but I guess they still cost the same as they did two and a half years ago when they were first released. Yeah, they did. And maybe people want them for the AirPods or something, but they're not, I don't know enough about them. They're not locked to your phone. Certainly your AirPods aren't locked to your phone in the same way that other accessories are. Like my Apple Watch, you, you, there's a lot more information in there you'd have to do to steal it. It's on Find My, for example. I don't know about AirPods Max. My AirPods Pro 2 are on Find My, but I still think you could repair them to another phone. Yeah, I think you raise a good question there. I don't know about AirPods Pro 2 because, like you say, they're, they're on Find My and you've got Find My in the case. So are they actually locked to your account? It would be good, obviously, if your AirPods Max were also locked to your account, but I don't think they are because they're not on Find My. So I'm guessing you could just reset them and off you go to the races. Yeah. So there's something there maybe Apple need to consider if they ever make another generation of AirPods Max that they they need to be, you know, authenticated in the same way that the Macs do. Of course, that takes us back to another story we talked a couple of weeks ago. Ultimately, they might be full of landfill because people don't think to unlink them from their Find My accounts before they move them on. But this balance is wrong. If, if thieves can just take quite an expensive pair of headphones and, you know, and then sell them on like this as if they were new, that's a worry. Yeah, especially with all the tech that's in headphones these days. You would imagine you can link them to your iCloud account. And I think people have got used now to, oh, look, I'm going to sell this thing. I need to unlink it from Find My. So I think it's they should do it because surely the up shot's better than the down. And yeah. how often do you repla- replace your headphones these days? You usually, usually keep them for a few years at least, if not longer than your iPhone. Yeah, fair enough. 
Okay, moving on. Next story, we get a sort of an edge look at Twitter at this point. So a story broke at the weekend about the creator of the Dilbert cartoon who went on what can only be described as a racist rant, I think. So Scott Adams, the guy who writes Dilbert, has syndicated Dilbert all over the world. I use it in a couple of my lectures, Dilbert cartoons. I've used them for bits and pieces before. They're quite well known as sort of a commentary on the business world, particularly the programming world, and how that interacts with it. I think he was funny about 15 years ago, maybe. Anyway, he was spotted on YouTube, effectively going on a racist rant. And the reaction to this was lots of newspapers dropped him. Lost the syndication. Unsurprisingly, he's been, you know, rejected by most of the most of the world as as being a decent commentator on these kinds of things. So, Elon Musk has now stepped into the story, saying that you know what he said wasn't entirely wrong. Musk said it's actually the media that's racist against whites and Asians, actually. So this further colours, not meant to be a pun, my attitude towards Elon Musk. What Scott Adams did was wrong. There's, there's no debate about that. I think the newspapers that have taken a stand on this are right. And I don't think Elon Musk is getting any shinier by doing this kind of stuff. I would agree with you. I actually read about this in the newspaper just before we started recording. I'm gutted because I love Dilbert cartoons. It used to get the Daily Dilbert. I don't know if that was still a thing. And he was he was noted in the newspaper saying he's now lost all his income as of next week he's you know he's not gonna have an income stream but i think that's his own fault at this point for having such archaic views of the world but i'm really disappointed because i do love gilbert i think you are quite correct i don't think this has done elon Musk any good why would he even wade in and just oh he's, he's just such a problematic person and i am gutted about scott adams i must say completely well it's 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 not good enough, frankly. And is it any wonder he's been demonetized from all the all these things? You know, it, these are not acceptable views in, in in the current world for all people's opinions about you know where people come from, where they go, the way Black Lives Matter has gone on, all the things in America that have come about it. We've had the same sort of protests in the United Kingdom. It's ridiculous that we're saying people are different based on the color of the skin or whatever else they choose at this point in life. But for a Scott Adams to come out and have said this is unacceptable and the right things have happened. And frankly, it's fair enough that it's happened to him based on you know his opinions. And if you watch the YouTube video, I don't think many people would disagree with that. But as you say, Musk then coming out and stepping out in front of it. This is somebody who's just trying to get advertisers back on Twitter. You know, what sort of move is this, you know, to show that you're a platform of, of who listens? Imagine your adverts being placed next to stuff like this on what's becoming a less and less acceptable platform to huge numbers of people. It's just it's insane. Yeah, you've got to assume that Twitter's never coming back from this. I thought they could have come back from this, I don't know, three months ago, but maybe two months ago. But they're not coming back from this now, I think. Every, just Everything that comes out is just making, making them dig a deeper hole. Yeah, and these things are, are bad, aren't they? You know, we've all we, we repeatedly say on this show that we don't want the, the art and the artist to become conflated. But I think in a cartoon drawn by one person... It's impossible not to. This isn't somebody else's vision like a Kevin Spacey situation or something like that or, or music which is slightly divorced from the person that's writing it because they're generally a more recognisable life experience. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm on, maybe on shaky ground with that slightly. But it's different for, for a cartoonist who's almost exclusively writing about their views and clearly has done for years. And it, and it affects everything that they've done. As you say, you love Dilbert. That's now impacted. You know, it's 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 tainted by the by by the creator of that cartoon's quite unacceptable. Agreed. Why can't people a think before they open their mouth, but b just I don't know, be mindful of the world around them a little bit more. I just don't I don't get it. And um, 
he's brought it on themselves. Yeah. Anyway, should we move on? I think let's move on, yeah. Let's go to something almost as bad, actually. This was a story that caught my eye uh, from Ars Technica about Amazon having a donkey meat problem, which is... Sorry? Exactly. It's worth reading the article, actually. So it's a lawsuit claiming supplements sold by Amazon contain donkey meat. And apparently there's a rising thing of donkeys being farmed and actually put into health food supplements and things. So this particular story was, I mean, Cindy, I don't know if that's a real name or not, was taking Artemisia's anti-hemorrhage formula. I mean, I, I don't know what that is anyway. The, the, me, the medical part of me is just like, I don't understand what dietary supplement that's meant to be. But anyway, she's a vegetarian, lifelong vegetarian. And when the pills were analysed, the, these vegetarian supplements contained donkey meat. It's just the most horrific story. It was like the horse meat saga from a few years ago, if you remember that, in the UK. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Like, Oh, I don't get it. I was not expecting us to talk, talk about donkey meat today, but it goes to show, even when companies are forced to list ingredients in a product, they're not doing it. So what are we eating? What are we putting into our mouths? Well, you don't really know, do you? But uh, to me, this was the broader thing about we're going to talk about Apple and two-factor authenticators a couple of stories time, but Apple in their app store continually knocked for not vetting properly the apps that get in there. If, if surely Amazon are just as responsible, if not more so, particularly when it comes to dietary supplements, things people put in their bodies, to do due diligence on what people are selling and what they're been passing on as part of their platform. I just thought this was repugnant. I don't disagree, but surely Amazon at that size now, they're just too big. They can't vet everything. It's They're just huge, aren't they? And they, how many millions of products do they sell on their store? They must have so many SKUs. And it was kind of like the AI problem we were talking about the other week. It's just so big, you can't validate all the answers anymore. Yeah, I don't know where I stand on this. I mean, it's something's in violation. Presumably, if there's a safety label on the bottle or, or an ingredients label on the bottle, somebody's lying. And I can understand why there's a lawsuit here, because this I presume in some parts of the world it is acceptable to eat donkey. But if you're vegetarian, you're not looking for donkey in your supplements. I'm not even sure if you're if you're not vegetarian, you're looking for donkey. But the bottle apparently said it's a hundred percent pure natural herbs. Yeah, well, I don't think a donkey's a herb. Last time I checked. No, I would concur with that. It's, Any, yeah, it's not good. Anyway, it's an interesting story. I think it's worth a read on the Ars Technica article because it's just it's something I wasn't particularly aware of. But when you think about it, with markets for you know Chinese herbal remedies and what happens with poaching in Africa and all the rest of it, it's possibly not surprising that enterprising people for one of a better word are turning to other things to sell their wares so it's it's criminal frankly yeah i'd agree with that so sticking with amazon for a minute i've tried to group the stories together a little bit apparently amazon is now a u.s healthcare provider so amazon is a 3.9 billion dollar deal to buy its way into the healthcare world as it's bought u.s healthcare chain chain one medical last wednesday so this is merging amazon and this uh, this one medical company which they've been working on since 2022 Amazon now owns and operates a chain of 221 medical offices in 27 markets across the US. This is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, part of me was just thinking, does a company not need to be vetted before it buys a medical business or like a veterinary business or a dentist or whatever it may be? But apparently not. You can just get your checkbook out and buy it. And it just worries me that Amazon is now, you know, now the custodian of a medical business. I just... I feel a bit uncomfortable with this. So what One Medical do is they, they, they're built around on-demand technology to medical care. So it's got mobile apps that provide patients with 24-7 access to video chats with doctors and other remote services. So 
I get the infrastructure part of that. There is a sort of overlap, but I think it can't be very long until Amazon say, oh, if you're a one medical customer, you've got to put one of these Alexa cylinders, you know, in your home and we're just going to check that you're, you know, doing your insurance and all the rest of it. Or if you want to talk to one of our doctors, you can just shout it in the air and do it as long as you're in this area. I'm not very comfortable about that crossover. No, I'm not. And how long is it before Apple start doing this sort of thing? I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. Suddenly all the tech giants are just giants. They're no longer just tech, are they? And and we've seen it a little bit, obviously, with films and books and various other things that we're getting into. But this is just, I don't know, it feels a bit like a step too far. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's a case for medical stuff being left to people that are good at it. And there's no reason companies like Amazon and Microsoft can't provide infrastructure in terms of cloud services and things like that. We're all, we've all become more comfortable with that. But I think inviting them into our homes because you've got security with them, you're shopping with them, and now you can get your healthcare provided with them as well. Yeah, it's, that's a lot. It's a lot for a conglomerate. Yeah, I would, I would agree with what you've said. Moving on, and more cheery news this week. This is interesting about a proposed UK online bill. So this was a bill put to Parliament in the United Kingdom by Boris Johnson, the newest Prime Minister of the UK, to improve security, or at least improve the ability of security services and others to identify child sexual material and things of that nature. So core to the proposals is a is a proposal to reduce the security in messaging apps so there's like effectively backdoors so apps that make use of end-to-end encryption such as apple messages whatsapp and signal would struggle to operate in this environment where end-to-end encryption was barred hmm. i'm mixed on this one I, I want my end-to-end encryption but i don't want illegal images to be distributed yeah yeah i i, I feel your pain <laughs> this you don't want things, you know, the kinds of things, criminal activity that no doubt takes place on these encrypting messaging platforms is a thing. Fine. Not fine, shouldn't happen. But you can't have both, I don't think. You can't weaken the security of these things to such a degree where there's a backdoor that those bad actors also won't be able to access those backdoors. And they'll just move elsewhere. So I think this would make it very difficult for companies like Apple and Signal and others to do business in the United Kingdom if end-to-end encryption is actually stopped. If it continues in other countries, people will just leave. And that's not a great place to do business in the UK. And I agree with you. There must be a better way to combat child pornography and and these other things that are enabled to a certain degree by end-to-end encryption. But it's not the reason end-to-end encryption exists. No, I agree with that. So it's... Is the solution to this that they need to do something on device? So I send you a message and then your device then checks it or my device checks it as I send it to you to go whether this is allowed because otherwise all you're going to do is do that check on the server. It feels like it needs to happen at the end point where you're either sending it or receiving it to make sure that it, it you know, it, it's, it's not illegal, I guess is the right word. Yeah, I mean, that was Apple's proposed solution for this, wasn't it? So the, the And now app- you see why they were doing it. Yeah, so the Apple CSAM thing, and I will give a, a rubbish overview of this, but CSAM is Child Sexual Abuse Material. I think that's the acronym. The idea would be it's something like every picture in the world can be de- generated to a hash code, so a piece of code that identifies that image. There are known libraries of this CSAM material. It's through various sophisticated machine learning type techniques. Those hashes won't change even if you change the photograph. So if it was cropped or rotated or made black and white or stretched or different encryption, a different compression methodology or something, the hash for that can be maintained. So you can identify just the hash without knowing what the image is, but that could be listed as CSAM. So this is what Apple were trying to sell as their 
background technology for this, that they wouldn't see any images or anything, but where one of those hashes appeared on a user's phone, a notification could be made potentially to a parent as part of a family group or something like that for it being there, so they'd report it. I, it's, I mean, I, I've got strong opinions on people not making, distributing, or doing anything with child sexual abuse material. I, I think this is a problematic thing because no matter what the technology is, this kind of material has always been distributed. It may be easier slightly with end-to-end encryption, but a lot of Facebook, for example, isn't end-to-end encrypted, and I bet there's lots of stuff shared there. There's lots of stuff shared on non-end-to-end encrypted things as well as end-to-end encrypted things. Criminals will find a way. They'll start using the blockchain or something like that in, in ex- instead of these end-to-end messages. So this is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as far as I'm concerned. It's a Simpsons won't somebody think of the children without actually thinking of the repercussions of what one of these things actually have. Because lots of technology, transmission of medical information, for example, is dependent on high encryption between sender and receiver. So the, there's a more balanced response to this than just all all end-to-end encryption is evil. Uh, I agree with you on this, I think, in that uh, you're right, they were tackling one thing, which is the direct chat piece. But you're right, what about Facebook? What about the general internet? You know, there's so many other places. And I think we do need to tackle all of them. But there's got to be a better way. We shouldn't be undoing security to tackle this there's got to be a better way especially with devices now i mean the, the devices in our pocket are so ridiculously fast they could easily do this at the point of sending or receiving because to send it you've got to be connected to receive it you'll be connected to internet so surely that's the time that hang on before that goes we're just going to check yeah so, um, I, I find that very bizarre i think there's got to be a better way than doing it by this but uh, i mean I'm, I'm not i'm not clever enough to think of what that is but i i I just think this is a step too far that that's not what you need to do surely is to engineer the problem at this where it's being captured rather than at the point it's being sent at you don't want the sexual abuse to happen at all in the capture of it so that's a societal change or an enforcement change for the police to be able to recognize or or something it should never make it to the point it's being distributed on somebody's phone or via their computer or something like that, which is easy for me to say. But as a society, that's surely where we want to be, not at the point of just trying to capture it while it's sent. But maybe that's just me. No, I think I'm with you 100%. I'm there. I would, yeah, in the same place. Yeah. Good. Okay, let's talk about something slightly cheerier. New iPhone 15 designs have surfaced on the internet. Have you had a look at this? Uh, yeah, I have a brief look. I'm, I don't get too much into the rumour mill. Well, uh, to me, sounds quite good. We're going to get a slightly bigger screen. We're going to have Dynamic Island on the regular phone. All, all seems to make sense. Well, I didn't know, and um, forgive me, I can't remember if the slightly bigger screen is going to come to the iPhone Pro or this is just the, the, the general iPhone. So on about the screen going from 6.1 inches to 6.2. So for those of us with just a normal Pro or regular phone, not the Max or, or the Plus that they released this year. So this story on 9to5Mac that's linked in the show notes is the iPhone 15. It's not the Pro Max, it's the 15. So the iPhone 15 large one will get a little larger maybe. I'm, I'm all right with that, I think. And the one about making the bezels a bit thinner. And I hope Apple do what they do is, oh, look, we've given you a much bigger screen, but we haven't really made the phone any bigger kind of thing. I like it when they, when they do that kind of update, like they did when they released the new MacBook Pros the other year. You know, they pushed the screen to fill the bezels rather than making the whole unit bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fine. If you feel better in the hand, feel the same in the hand, you don't necessarily need to retool all your cases and all the rest of it. It's not a major change. The phone is still the same physical size, but the screen's a little bit bigger. The other things that come along with this are USB Type-C across the range. Yay. Although it's likely to be limited on the standard models to USB 2 speeds. And what's that about? 
I never plug mine into transfer data, so I don't really care. But it does seem a bit bizarre. USB-C, though, has got to be good for on all the phones. It's one less cable, isn't it? And not only the AirPods that we've all just bought, though, are still going to be lightning. Yeah, that's fine. I've I've pretty much moved to charging my AirPods with my Apple Watch charger and the charger on my MagSafe chargers as well. So I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, let's bring on our USB-C overlords. I'm quite happy with that. I'm with you. And then the second thing is that even the bog standard iPhone 15 will also get the dynamic island. So they're pushing those two things down the range. I'm well on board with that. I've got the iPhone 14 Pro. I love the dynamic island. If they put the dynamic island on more devices, I think more developers will use it and it surely is only going to get better. So it needs to go everywhere. So I think that would be great. I think the dynamic island is a really good addition. I'm still not convinced that it takes up any less space than the notch though that that'd be my only complaint but i like the implementation they should have done the same implementation for the notch yeah i don't feel like i'm missing out by not having the dynamic island on my on my previous generation phone i haven't really seen the app that's the killer application for it i mean i'm sure if you used it day to day you get used to it. it's one of those sort of quality of life improvements that you couldn't live without if it was taken away but i don't feel like missing anything I don't think you're missing much. The killer app is now playing. That's all it is. Because you can instantly just go to the now playing thing. That That's all the killer app is. Fair enough. But it's one of those things. If, if they do push it across the range and everybody gets used to it, then great. Nice little quality of life improvement. Fair enough. Yeah, it's like with the home button going away, isn't it? They, they did that. And now Dynamic Island is going to be the, the next thing, I think. iPhone 15 doesn't look that different from iPhone 14, though, does it? Based on these renders. No, I mean, it may be lighter. There's talk of it having titanium rails instead of the stainless steel we've got today, which should make it lighter, but it looks largely the same thing. So yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm thinking it it looks like my phone. If you look at it from a five, you didn't know what you were looking for. But I'm seeing it. I like to see where they go. I'm not really in the market for a phone this year. I usually try and go every two years, but there'd have to be something that would wow me to make me want to upgrade. Yeah, I mean, these are renders. And to me, the camera bump looks the same. I suspect it's probably a little bit larger even than it is now, but it's the same sort of cooker on the, you know, hob cooker arrangement that you've got on the back of the iPhone I've had for a while. It's very recognisable iPhone at this point. Yeah, they're really leaning into the the, the bumps and, and that, aren't they? And it is interesting to see other phone designs because I don't think Apple have got the best design with the camera layout yet, but they, I think it's too much of an identity now to change it. It is interesting. If you scroll down to the bottom of the article, they have got the sort of side-on view. And those lenses, they are a little bit longer, that's for sure. It's beginning to look like those instant, not instant cameras, but the sort of first generation of digital cameras where the optical lens, lens would pop out when you switch them on. Except this is out all the time. Yeah, if, if that really is what the iPhone 15 Pro is going to look like, that's going to be a very rocky phone on anybody's desk. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, how top-heavy the iPhone 14 and 13 and possibly 12 were as well. By the time, there's quite a weight in the cameras. They're not balanced well in the hand. And this is going to be worse. Maybe that's the reason for switching to titanium rails on the Pro phones. I suspect the bog-standard ones won't change at all. It'll be the same sort of weight. Uh, yeah, potentially. Yeah, so interesting. Nice to have the rumour. It's not surprising. It's evolution, not revolution, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. I, yeah, I think... They're going to keep turning that design out for a little while, yeah. Yep. Good. Moving on and back to some bad news for Apple. So in a story from Michael Sai, we've got Scam Authenticator app stealing QR codes on the App Store. So this is approved. It's gone through Apple's walled garden. You know, we've got a nice safe place for you to all come and live. But this is actually stealing the two-factor codes that you were authenticating with. This is pretty unacceptable. Yeah, this is awful. And if you click on the link, I think it takes to Twitter, it shows somebody 
with the screen grab of like four or five different apps they've got installed on their phone they're all fake so it's quite a lot of apps and they've all got the generic sort of secure looking icon with a shield slash padlock oh it's awful how did these get through like you know apple prides itself on checking every app that goes on the app store and you know dealing with scams and not letting things through legitimate apps struggle to get through but yet scammy apps seem to make it through and we hear about it all the time it's not a good look yeah and in the link at least one of these tries to force you to subscribe even if you tap the close box so not only is it potentially stealing your two-factor codes for your authenticated things it's making you pay for the privilege too so you know they've got through app review they've been promoted in apple's store own search apps and this is apple caught with the trousers down it's just this is terrible yeah, I don't like it. One iota is horrible. So it's just oh, shocking. Shockingly bad behavior, Apple. This is the point. We're meant to be safer inside of here. This isn't feeling any safer. Agreed. And it's not doing them any good when they're when obviously they go into the European Union and go, no, we must do run the app store because we keep it secure and protect our users. And then they can literally just point at this article and go, but you're not doing a very good job. Not good enough. There we are. Moving on. I- No, I've popped one more just in the show notes. Whilst I was reading the news today, I saw that Nokia's got a new logo. And I thought, that looked interesting. I'll stick Nokia in for a bit of nostalgia. So Nokia have just announced a new logo. The first time in about 30 years. It's just the word Nokia with some of the letters half missing on Nokia.com. But who who knew that Nokia was still going and had enough money to rebrand? There you go. Yeah, Nokia is not really... Is it Nokia the corporation or is it HMD, the phones that were sold off to the Android provider? Uh, no, I think it's the corporation because it's Nokia.com. Right. Okay. I, it was just nice to see Nokia in the newspapers for a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, Nokia, it was quite a trustworthy brand, wasn't it, for a long time? And I agree with you, half the letters are missing. But that's all I thought. And it's the first time I think they've changed their logo in like 30 years or so, something stupid I read. I don't even know what Nokia do now. Do they hold a bunch of trademarks? Is that what they've got? well surely microsoft kept them but i literally have no idea what nokia do anymore and the the front page of their website doesn't really say anything is is cooperation the best way to compete pioneering the evolution of networks discovery discover the power of n i mean literally their homepage tells you nothing about what they're about so who knows it's a very slow website as well it looks very yeah it's 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 a lesson on how to design a thing without it telling you anything yeah, it's just a, f- a load of fluff, isn't it? Ah, oh, Nokia used to be great. Anyway, I think that's up for news. We've gone quite long in the news, but that's all right. There's actually been quite a lot to talk about. No, that's good. Uh, let's go into media then. So I've, I've put, put a few in here. So first up, we talked about Succession Series 4 coming. I know you're not looking forward to it, but I am. But the creator has said it's the last one. Series 4 will be the last one of Succession. So I'm a little gutted, but equally I'm a little bit like... I'd rather them go out on a high and not drag it out for 10 seasons. So I'm gutted, but yeah, now I think it just makes me want to watch it a little bit more. Fair enough. I've, I have no opinion on this. I don't mind Succession going away because I thought it was horrible. I still haven't come back to give it a, a second chance, which I promised it would. I think it, I, I hear from enough people, you're not the only person that keeps going on at me to watch it. It's the most amazing thing. But I th- there is also something in what you just said about quitting while you're ahead. I've got a, a rule that you can't have more than five good seasons of television. It's true of Star Trek, it's true of all sorts of things that, you know, you get to five and they may not necessarily be one, two, three, four, five. They could be three, four, five, six, seven or, or, or in some sort of order like that. But in general, you only get five good seasons out of a TV show. So stopping at four, well, not, not a bad idea. I, th- I think that's fair because it's hard to, it's hard to c- constantly churn out 
you know, another stellar season. And look, we I was going to mention Ted Lasso later, but let's do it now. Ted Lasso is going to do season three. It's series one and two have been fantastic. They've won Emmys. They've done really well. It's a, the bar's so high. Can they keep on going with such a high bar? You know, it's a, I do agree with you. I think you are best to quit where you're ahead. 100%. Yeah, fair enough. And it's obviously a very successful for sure. I love the music. Quit while you're ahead. Move on. And maybe he'll go off and do something else that's just as good, but different. Yeah, that's true. Next up on my list was Hello Tomorrow. This is the show I mentioned to you where you're kind of in 1950 America and they're trying to sell you tickets to go to the moon. I've started watching it. I quite enjoy it, actually. I think it's really good. Really interesting take. A little darker than I thought it was going to be to begin with. Somebody dies very early on in in the first episode, so, so no spoilers. But actually, I quite like it. It's quite an interesting concept. And I'm going to mangle his last name because I can't pronounce it, but Billy Crudup. Crudup. He's fantastic. I loved him in good in the morning show and I, he's very good. So um, yeah, really enjoying it. I've just got to find more time to finish it. Yep. Good. Fair enough. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet, but it's definitely on my list of things to watch. I, I do like the look of it. I like Billy Crudup as well. I remember him playing Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen. I think is where I first came across him and the first couple of episodes of the morning show. He's really good. Yeah, very good. I will get around to watching it. And then that brings me on to something I have finished. Drive to Survive came out on Friday. I've binged all 10 seasons, 10 seasons, 10 episodes. It's all of basically a recap on last year, some behind the scenes stuff that's happened. It was pretty good, but it's really frustrating. They bring it out one week before the, the Formula One season starts again. They've had three months off. Could they not have brought it out a little bit earlier in the pipeline? So you had something in the off season to watch. And the other thing they got me with it was Sebastian Vettel retired this year, full-time world champion, and they barely acknowledged him in the whole thing. It's like, come on, he won four Formula One championships. And yet it's just like a passing moment on like the last episode they mentioned him. It seemed a bit bizarre. But the what I will say though is whatever cameras they're recording with are fantastic. The quality of just some of the interviews, you know, obviously everything's in 4K now. It's stunning. But no, it was good. I don't think it's as impactful as previous years, but it was a good watch. I enjoyed it. Sounds good. If it wasn't a Formula One, I'd be all over it. So I'm going to throw a MotoGP one straight back at you. Last week for me, Amazon Prime released Mark Marquez All In. If you're not familiar with the motorcycling world, he's an eight times world champion across a variety of classes for motorcycling. In 2020, he had a horrific injury. Unsurprisingly, he's had a number of injuries in his life, but he, he smashed his humerus really badly for about the third time. And it set wrong. It set 32 degrees, I think is the figure, out of rotation. So when he told his arm straight, his, actually, his wrist was sort of rotated like that. You can imagine, particularly when you're braking a motorcycle, all your weight goes forward on a sort of a Formula One level machine. So he made the amazing decision in 2022 to actually go back, travel to the Mayo Clinic and have his arm medically rebroken and rotated back into place. He did this halfway through the season and with the back racing, he raced the last two races at the end of the season, which just shows the level of commitment these guys have got. It's just a fascinating look into a sportsman's mind. If you've got that sort of killer instinct to be a world champion time after time after time, what you'll endure to get yourself back on the top step of the podium again. So even if you're not into motorcycling, it's an amazing documentary. What the listeners didn't see was my face getting all screwed up and squirming a little bit because I do not enjoy any form of physical pain, let alone watching it, hearing about it. Oh, it sounds awful. But what what a story. He's been around when all... I mean, again, motorcyclists aren't quite so well known as a lot of the Formula One drivers, but he raced with Rossi. He grew up with Valentino Rossi being his idol on his wall, posters of him and all the rest of it, and actually got to race against him and beat him. 
you know so he's come through sort of the motorcycling generations from being a young kid and then to go on and to be to win as much as he has on which these days isn't the best bike on the grid is a fantastic story it's a really good sort of uplifting story and just an amazing insight into a sports person's mind uh, fair play and look, you you do hear about it don't you in many sports where people do miraculous things to get back back in the saddle back on the bike whatever the analogy is but fair play to him do you know what? i would probably actually quite enjoy watching it i do like a, a documentary so maybe it's one to put on the long list on the long list i think it's fair enough if you're not going to immediately rush out and watch it but it's worth a watch all right, next up then, Gold. So this is a TV show on ITV. My, my, my in-laws suggested this one to me. It's very good. So Gold is a TV show on ITV here in the UK. It's about six six episodes. It's not very long. But it's all about a Brin- Brinks map robbery that took place in 1983. And obviously it's a bit of a dramatisation, but based on a real event. And they ended up stealing like £28 million worth of gold bars in 1983. I mean, £28 million is a lot of money right now, let alone nearly 40 years ago it's really good i'm quite enjoying it I'm again about halfway through but the one of the main characters in it is actually jack loden who is river who in slow horses which obviously was on apple tv plus but it, it's got some great cast in it that's got hugh bonneville in it he's fantastic as always but what i really enjoyed was they really captured the 80s quite well here in the uk all the cars the, the clothes and everything and it amazes me how many how many good condition cars they managed to find for the 80s very interesting i did frown a few i saw granada and i was like, i'm fairly confident that was too new for the 80s but maybe that's just me but no it's fantastic would would definitely recommend it's not often something comes up on itv that i'm interested in if i'm honest but i thought it was very good was the granada square it was more like the 90s granada i remember it slightly rounded off yeah no, I remember there being a very sort of rectangular-looking Granada in the 80s. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, so I do vaguely remember that. Yeah, there was a, there was a rounded-off one later on. Yeah, I need, I need to go and fact-check it. That was the only car that stood out to me. But the rest of them, though, it's some stunning cars in it. And I like my cars. But no, would would recommend. And it's free on ITV, so you can't knock it. Yeah. But I thought it was a good segue into Slow Horses, which I see is made an appearance as, as it shares an actor yeah so yeah I, i'm quite interested in in that as you say i think it'll go on my long list too of things to watch yeah i finally finished slow horses i said i was going to wait till it was all finished and then i'd binge it and that's exactly what i did and what a terrific show that is there's just i remember seeing a quote from gary oldman saying if you never did another thing you'd be happy with slow horses i 100 agree it's one of the greatest things i've seen him in he is absolutely terrific in it but so is everybody else there isn't a weak point in that. It's well scripted. It's well, you know. There's the odd bet I go, eh, really? But I'm quite happy to go with it. I'm really quite happy to go with it. It's funny. It's got good spy stuff. Loved it. And it's got to be a great character for him to play this, you know, the leader of the the Fallout spies that haven't done a very good job. He's, I don't know, I think he's fantastic. And he is such a good actor. So I know I'd agree. I think Star Wars is fantastic. Yep. So watch it if you haven't. Okay, next up, should we go on to some games? Yeah, let's talk about some games. You're up first. So you sent me a link to an, another Airs Technica article about unbeatable AI comes to Gran Turismo. So Gran Turismo 7 had a free update in February on the PlayStation 5. And not only did it bring a new course and some new cars, it also brought a time-limited section they're doing where you can race against Sophie, which is that an AI racing car. And, and they've got three or four of them that you can go up against, all different colours. And they've got different characteristics. It's quite interesting. Like I was racing it the other day and one of the cars is at the back of the grid, but takes a long time and then catches up with you. And then, you know, it's quite challenging towards the end. One thing I think Gran Turismo has really got right is the difficulty. You've really got to 
time your corners and what have you and and as you go up through the different levels but it just shows how good the ai can be and i'm impressed with with sony they've put it out there it's free update different levels you can you can pay money pay money sorry you can win money for, for some of the races and you can do head-to-heads where there's no money available it's just to see how good are you against the best ever ai they've ever done and i think it races really well some of the moves though the way it's pitching into the corners and things are just nearly impossible to keep up with but obviously what the ai's got over us humans is it can do it time and time again pitch perfect and hit, hit the apex of the corner accelerate at the right level and off it goes but fantastic to watch the article is quite short but i'd recommend it's a good read to see how they got there and it's something they've spent a long time training it to do get it to race repeatedly on playstations um, and there's also some good YouTube videos I actually watched on it. I'm not a big YouTube person, but it was great seeing some really professional Gran Turismo racers racing against, you know, they've got the steering wheels, they've got all the equipment. But what a great update, and it's free for everybody just to have a go on it. And it's like I say, it's time box. They're not gonna, they haven't replaced the AI of the game. They're just going, look, this is the art of the possible, basically. I'll have to have a look. I, I saw the story and I sent it to you and I thought you're more likely to get a chance to play it this week than I would. But yeah, I'll need to have a look to see how good the AI is. Let's face it, I'm not very good at Gran Turismo anyway, so I, c- I can normally beat the AI. It might occasionally involve me nerfing another car off the track in order to do it. Who would, who would drive like that? But uh, yeah, I'm quite interested to give it a go. But they've tiered it, so you can do beginner, intermediate and expert. So the beginner one is quite straightforward. Even I could beat it. And the expert one is now and impossible. So... It's good, but equally though, you get a new track with with the update, and the new track is awesome. It's really they've got some really good tracks in the game, and they do bring out when they add another track, they don't just tack it on. It's one done to the same standard as all the others. So I'm really impressed with the free updates that keep coming. And it was a seventy pound game when I bought it. You could have got it cheaper on sale, but there's a lot of value in that game. Definitely. I mean, Polyphony Digital, isn't it? I've, I've supported that well. Sony have supported it well. It's it's a good showcase for the PlayStation, although it's still not 120 frames per second, I don't think. No, it's not. Yeah. Anyway, no, good, interesting, good update. The Great War. So I put this in here, but you'd obviously sent it to me. So The Great War, this is a game about World War One. It's by the creators it brought us Command & Conquer Remastered that I talk so fondly of. And it looks really good. Not a game I'd normally go for. I don't know why. Not a big, not a big fan of World War One in, in computer games. But actually, it looks fantastic. And I think it's coming out. Is it on Steam? I think. Or is it all PCs? It's Steam, but I think it's PC. It'll undoubtedly work on the Steam Deck, but it's probably not going to be Mac compatible. So it's coming out on the Steam and then the Epic Game Store. It's about £30, which seems quite reasonable. I'm a little interested in this and... I would I would be tempted to fire up my like I said my gaming laptop and have a go on this one, but I thought it looked really good, and you could see some of the mechanics that they've done in Command and Conquer come over to this. What do you think? Is this on your list? Yeah, very much. So Petroglyph have released a number of good real time strategy things, as well as Command and Conquer Red Alert. They've done a couple of other things that I've enjoyed in the past as well. So I think they're trustworthy. It's an interesting year of history, not often simulated, which gives it a bit of novelty as much as anything else. So when the Battlefield team went back into Battlefield 1, there was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's not the correct phrase for it, but let's, let's, I'll phrase it better than that. There was concern about you know the amount of death that there was in the First World War. And would it be treated respectfully? And it was to a certain degree. I mean, it's, it's simulated people killing game, you know, all, as all these things are. It's respectful enough in the sense that you know kudos was given to people from all sides who died in the war, etc., etc. And I think Petroglyph will be trustworthy enough to do the same sort of thing. They'll recognise the death that, that went on. If you remember a game called Cannon Fodder back in the day, do you remember Cannon Fodder? 
I do remember Cannon Fodder. I loved it. Which was similar-ish in the sense that it was a top-down real-time strategy thing where you had to navigate a team of men. Every every digital member of your team that died actually got a little memorial to them. So when you'd log into the game again next time, you'd get a little such-and-such such died, such-and-such such died. So they're sort of keeping that, even though they're digital and nobody was harmed in the production of this video game, they are sort of alluding to the fact that real war has more consequences. And I think they actually donated to the November the 11th funds and things like that. You know, the, the Poppy Day and, and help for veterans and all the rest of it. A lot of these games do that kind of thing as a means of recognising real soldiers that have fought in real wars, what they go through. And, you know, they know it's not an entirely throwaway thing. So I think Petroglyph would be respectful. And yeah, it's a game I'm interested in. Yeah. Like I say, you're certainly making me want to fire up my, fire up my laptop at some point and, and give it a go. So... I'm going to keep an eye on it and you've actually made me want to go look around their website and actually see what other games they've got because I'm a little interested. Yep, good. One for me, Atomic Heart, which came out last week. It's a game based on Unreal Tournament 4, sort of the last generation of that particular engine that's powered lots of shooters and games and things like that. Looks amazing. It's a little controversial at the moment because it has like a retro Soviet theme, so all things Russian not being particularly well received at the moment, but this is like a an idealised version of, of the Soviet Union rather than the current state of Russia. If they'd been moved into the future with some robotics and things like that, they'd be the first-person shooter. So I had a small go of that because it was released on Xbox Games Pass and it looks amazing. Very hard, very frustrating. Looks very nice. I played the first level and got a bit bored, frankly, so don't waste your time. <laughs> Link in the show notes. This look quite cool, though. It, it does look cool. And there's a YouTuber called Jack Frags who did a sort of run-through of the first couple of levels if you just want to see how it plays on 4K on a PC with all the settings on Max. It's not a bad thing. I, if I remember, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well because it's it's you know it's it's a very pretty game and somebody who's better at computer games than I am will probably get on a lot better. But I'm glad I tried it, but I've, I'm glad, also glad I didn't pay for it. Okay, that's, that's a review, isn't it? I'm happy I've tried it, but I wouldn't pay for it. Yeah, exactly. And then another game on Xbox Game Pass is, I need to get this right, it's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. So if you're a child of a particular age, as I the sort of, 2D, 2D and 2.5D side-scrolling beat-em-up like Streets of Rage or Golden Axe or the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a definite thing back in the day. Companies like Capcom and others would produce these things. A fairly recent one came out called Teenage Mutant Ninja Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, which I managed to resurrect one of my Xbox controllers because a battery had corroded and the terminal wasn't going, and managed to play a two-player game of this with my daughter. What a lot of fun. I'd forgotten how much fun it was just to sit next to somebody on a sofa and play a game together where you're both on the same side. You're not trying to knock seven bells out of each other in a football game or a fighting game or something like that. So thoroughly enjoyed that. It's on Xbox Live. Grab it. And I think it's also available on iOS and other platforms too. So worth a look. Yeah, it's under the Netflix banner on iOS. I was just reading. Yeah, so there you go. If you subscribe to Netflix, you can get it and have a go on your phone. I'd recommend a controller. That's us for games, I think. Yeah, into the main show. Main show, which I think will be short. It's more and more just a, an observation on the state of the art, really. So I was noodling around at the weekend, and I noticed that my Apple Watch Ultra, the temperature, the thermometer sensor, which is an advertised thing, wasn't working on it. And I texted you, and is your temperature sensor working on your Apple Watch Ultra? No, I kind of forgot it was there, if I'm honest, which is kind of how Apple positioned it i think when they announced it with the series 8 and the apple watch ultra it comes with a temperature sensor it will work i think at night is that right but they weren't really pushing it because i'm guessing that they're not thinking it's that accurate you know they didn't want you to become reliant upon it was the impression i was getting 
Yeah, so the, I think Apple sold the thermometer in, in, a, in a good way. You're quite right. It would have to be when you were asleep because it was a peripheral temperature, not a core temperature. It's not going to be very accurate. You shouldn't be using it for things like diagnosing whether you've got COVID or, or a fever or something. It was pitched purely, I would say, for women's health as much as anything else, for, for doing ovulation tracking and things like that, for people who are doing family planning and all the rest of it. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. It's a great thing to do. But if you're going to put a temperature sensor in a watch and make a big deal out of it at the time, and it's available to everyone. Why isn't it working on either of our watches? Do you have to wear your watch in bed, though, for it to work? Well, I do wear my watch in bed. And I'll come on my app of the week as to why I wear my, my watch in bed, but I charge so, my so watch. Yeah, so on. I don't. So I, I put mine on the stand when I go to bed. Normally, I don't need to bother charging it, to be honest. But I, I don't know. I don't like wearing it at bed. I never did, even when I wore an analog watch. So maybe I need to try it, but it seems interesting that yours isn't working. Mine's not work. Mine hasn't registered at all. But I'm curious to know about it because if it works at night, is there any reason why it couldn't work in the day if it's just taking sample, you know, in, in the same way? I don't. I, I don't know why it can work. Like if you, if it knows you're stationary for half an hour, surely it could work out your body temperature because it's the same as when you're in bed. Well, you'd have thought so, wouldn't you? And I, I'm. I am going somewhere with this. It's the the, the thought that fair enough. You've got to be passive for it to be accurate enough to read your temperature. Fine. It's got. It needs five days worth of measurements before it will come up with something. Fine. I've worn mine more than five days in bed, and you know since December when I got the watch and it hasn't come up. So I think there's something. Either it's not been allowed to be used in the UK and people aren't reporting on it, or you and I have broken sensors, or you don't wear yours enough to get up, and I've got a broken sensor. So there's some variables there. Anyway, where I'm going with this is Apple are putting more and more sensors in the watches, not just the Apple Watch Ultra, but all of the watches. And there's a rumor just arrived of something that Apple's apparently been working on for quite a while, that Apple has made major progress on a no-prick blood glucose tracker for the watch. So for those that don't know, if you're diabetic, you need more or less continuous monitoring of your blood sugars. The way most diabetics manage that, or people that are concerned about their blood sugars, is they get a little pen, they stab themselves a couple of times a day, they squeeze a bit of blood onto a, 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 a card effectively, the card goes in the machine, the machine will give them their blood sugar. There's a normal range for that. If you're outside of that, you might need to eat a Mars bar or you might take your insulin, depending on how well controlled you are. There's been an evolution of that where people who are particularly brittle or need more constant monitoring or they don't want to prick their fingers a lot can actually have a thing like a sticking plaster stuck on them, which has got a bunch of little needles on it or one big one, depending on the one you get, where it continuously monitors your blood sugar and you have a, an associated pump that dispenses insulin as needed. So you have continuous monitoring of what's going on. You don't have the big wax of insulin that diabetics have often needed before. It can be monitored it can be monitored and controlled in a much, much more manageable way that's less painful for diabetics. Because let's face it, it's not fun stabbing your finger every couple of times a day to see where you are and injecting yourself with insulin. So having a non-invasive blood sugar monitoring device, as you might have in an Apple Watch, would be a big deal. You can understand why the company's pushing towards that. That makes sense with my description. I think it's, I'm a non-medical person. I think it sounds, A, your description is very good, but B, I think surely if they can make this, that'd be amazing. So, awesome. It's got actual value to the company. It's got actual value to people who are diabetic. And it's got a certain amount of value for those people who aren't diabetics and maybe realize that they have, when they have their Cheerios in the morning and they cover it in honey and sugar and stuff, they're having a whack of sugar and their body's having to work really hard, really hard to sort that out. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's very much in the trend of adding sensors to your Apple Watch in the sense that now we've got oxygen saturation monitoring, we've got heart rate monitoring, we've got 
temperature monitoring, you know, and other set compasses and things like that. It's actually becoming a really useful device for being able to pull these things together when it works. And this is where I'm kind of going with this, is that I worry about the reliability of something like this. The last two features of the sensors they've introduced to the Apple Watch, namely the oxygen saturation monitoring and the thermometer, not working so well, really. You know, the, the, this oxygen saturation monitoring is patchy, I'd say, if you look at sort of the trends for it, it goes up and down a little bit. It's good that it's there, but I think it's less reliable than something you'd buy for 15 quid from Boots, the chemist, stick in your finger and you'd have a more accurate oxygen saturation monitoring. It's it's not bad, but it's not great. And then the thermometer strikes me as being unreliable, except in one scenario. This, if it's real, is a whole different world for a true medical regulation of devices, which they've done with the ECG monitor. But this could go wrong big style if this isn't accurate yeah i think i understand your concerns there because you're right i was just flicking through the menu where you're talking i was thinking oh yeah i forgot i've got a blood oxygen monitor on here which i think i had when i had the series six watch it's got the ecg which has been going a lot longer potentially it's got the temperature in it as you as you've just mentioned and i was just trying out the ecg while we, while we were talking actually but i'd forgotten about half of these sensors that are in there because i think they were interesting at the time but they just, I don't know, they just haven't really gone anywhere, have they? And it's a bit like they've got full detection, we've got crash detection. They're, they're trying to do all the right things, but I think I share your concerns. If they're not robust enough and really solid enough, then should they be releasing it into the market? But equally, do they need to get it out into the market, like with the crash detection, to actually have some real-world scenarios so that they can refine it and improve it? But like you say, this is somebody's health. You don't want to get this one wrong, do you? That's the problem. I think the ECG is pretty good. I got to say, you know, I, I've I've used the ECG thing from time to time. I, I know what an ECG should look like. It, it works quite well. And there's a there's a there's a whole different side of this. In as much as you can do these recordings, does your doctor believe them? So it's all very well, you know, you ro rocking up to your doctor with, you know, an ECG twice a day for the last thirty days. Most of them will probably go, ah, we're still going to attach this thing to you anyway, to truly confirm if you've got a cardiac condition. I think it's just indicative data as opposed to actually being useful for all the stories of Apple Watches identifying AFib and you know potential problems with people and all the rest of it. There's lots of scenarios where it's not accurate and they do need to be very careful what they say. And it is no substitute for proper medical monitoring of a lot of these technologies. But they are a big bang and a value adds to the Apple Watch and they can put another 50 quid on it. And you could see them looking for other sensors they could add in. And this is just where I think they're going with this is they're trying to push it beyond the bounds of it being a fit fitness tracker into actually monitoring your medical condition. And like you say, I think it's getting a bit lost and it's lacking value. And in some ways it's cheapening the device if it's going to be that inaccurate. Yeah, I think if if it, you're, I think the accuracy is the, the driver here. If it can be accurate, then it will drive the price up, surely, because it, they go, right, we've got the most accurate, you know, blood glucose monitoring we can you can have without pricking your finger. Come and get it. It costs, I don't know, a thousand pounds, say. And like you say, people like me, I'm not diabetic, but I'd love to know what, what that looks like. I was just doing the blood oxygen thing while we were talking as well. I'm at 97%, which I believe isn't good. But I think it is good. And it, what they have demonstrated, though, is they can get mass produce these sensors and get them into the masses. And they can make it so it's just a very simple app to engage with it. So I think they've got some smarts there. They now need to get the accuracy up because they've... They've, they've eroded the friction for the average user to do a blood oxygen test or an ECG. But now they need to go to the, the like you say, the next step and ha make sure that it's so robust. If they can pull off the blood glucose thing, I think that'd be really interesting. I'd love to see it. 
Yeah, I would too, because it would revolutionise the lives of of, of uh, diabetics or people who are worried about you know the, the the blood sugars and things like that. You know, I think that's that's definitely a good thing. As with all things, it's on a trend. You know, the fact you've just got ninety seven percent for your 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 oxygen saturations is it's on the back of your wrist while you're stood up in a very well lit studio, etc., etc., etc. It's not when you're passive as you do you know intensive care unit or something like that, or just when you put one on an A and E where you've got a device that fits at the end of your finger where they're designed to go where the sensor's right. It's not, you know, so it's making an approximation. And like I say, you look on a trend. The fact that your heart rate's a bit fast one day or has an odd beat one day might just be because you've eaten something or you've got a lot of wind or, you know, there's all sorts of you know, confounders to something like this. As a researcher, I'm really interested in these kinds of technologies. What can we put on people that's not invasive that I can actually get meaningful data of that we can carry research on? Apple do make it quite hard with research kit and things like that to, to get at that data. So while I encourage them adding sensors like this, the accuracy of them and the ongoing and the, and the pervasiveness of it and the utility of them are all really important questions. And I don't think, other than the odd, the saved my life story in a crash or the very odd AFib story, they've told the greatest story there yet. Do you think this is a bit like Amazon that we were talking about before, though, getting into, you know, into the medical world, big tech coming into medical? And obviously they, they've brought a bunch of doctors up and now we've got Apple here measuring all parts of our body at the moment with what they can do from the wrist. Are you not worried about that at all? It's one of those situations where Apple so far have made all the right noises. You know, it's kept in your device. It's not shared with us unless you explicitly do otherwise. And for the best will in the world, I do still give them the benefit of the doubt like that. that I'm, I don't think they're selling my, my particular heart rate or your oxygen saturation data off to another provider. I don't know that that's the case. Let's face it, none of us 100% know that that's not the case. But I think the utility of all these things together should be greater than the, you know, it should have some value to us beyond just being a step counter and being able to, you know, screen our calls on it. I, I like the ambition. Ultimately, I would be worried about, you know, as they increasingly add sensors to it and the accuracy of them, because let's face it, who wants to know this kind of stuff? In America, an insurance company do. They want to know you're getting your steps. They want to know what your heart rate looks like. Next time you go for cover, they go, hang on, can you just authenticate with Apple to send us all your stuff? Oh, no, we're not insuring you because you've, your gate's unsteady. It looks like you've got Parkinson's. That's really worrying. And, and you do get that in the UK at the moment. If you take health insurance, some providers will give you an Apple Watch. And if you use it, they will then, I don't know, disc, discount the Apple Watch kind of thing. Whereas if you don't use it, they'll then start, start charging you for it. So, no, I think it is interesting. I think, I think here, well, in the UK and in most countries i think the more senses they can give us to tell us about ourselves the better because we do have you know we do have a weight problem in in the western world we all eat too much we all have too many sugars or too many ultra processed foods because it's so readily available and they taste so yummy and so i think some of this could actually help a lot to drive behaviors because we need to find the right balance don't we so so i think there is a benefit there one thing i was just thinking about whilst we've been talking though about your temperature not working do you put your watch into sleep mode the Apple sleep mode, because I wonder whether you have to do that to invoke the temperature piece. That's a very good question. And no, I don't. And we'll come on to my app of the week in a minute. But uh, yeah, I don't. That's a good thought. I need to go and look at that. I'll put that in my homework. For so I do set my devices to go to sleep mode at 11 o'clock at night. So basically your Apple Watch screen is black. Your iPhone's black. I don't often go to bed at that time, but it's more just to encourage me of Oh, look, your devices are shutting down. You should shut down and go to bed and read a book. So you may need to do that to do what you want to do. You are making me think, maybe I should wear my watch for a week in bed and, and try it out. 
I think so. And maybe my app of the week might influence that as well. So just as an aside, because I think we've, we've come at the same conclusion, the sensors are useful. We want them to be accurate and have more utility and not sell our data off to everybody, which I think is un not unreasonable. Have you found that my Apple Watch face has gone all red thing? Yeah, I like that. You like that. Is that what you're saying is sleep mode or is that just turn down the lights mode, isn't it? No, no, that's not sleep mode. That's just flick your thing onto red mode where you, you so basically if you've got the apple watch ultra and you use the standard face you can roll roll the crown on what i'm saying is sleep mode is when you go onto your iphone and in the clock app or in the health app you can set a proper sleep mode and it's a focus mode and i think you might need to invoke that to do the recording you want and you can also use sleep mode to go you know i'm going to roughly go to bed at 11 o'clock and i'm going to get up at seven you can have an alarm linked to it and it, it's just trying to encourage you to obviously put your devices down, but also then I guess and it will track you overnight because I think Apple do sleep tracking as well, don't they? They do, but they don't do it very well. But yeah, I mean, that is interesting and I should definitely try that. Maybe that's why the temperature sensor is not working. I mean, that would be a reasonable conclusion, I think, that it has to be in sleep mode, it's linked to that in some way, and then it begins to you know track your temperature. So I will try that. And that is only a guess, but like I say, I... I can't remember why I enabled sleep mode. I think it was just so I could have a black screen when I put the phone on the charger because I've got the always on display and I didn't want the, the screen lit up. So, so that's how I started using it with the iPhone 14 Pro. So I don't put it in sleep mode, but some mornings when I get up, I get a little notification going, it looks like you're awake. It would have been up for like 20 minutes. So is that related? I don't know. <laughs> The problem is, I think they've designed all these things at different stages, and then they try and retrospectively bring them back together, like like using this focus mode that I just mentioned that came out a couple of years ago. So I know the saying you're you're on about, but I don't know if that's Apple or something else. I don't. It's it's a mystery to me. Anyway, that's something for me to look into. But no, I think that's interesting. It's it's an area I want to keep an eye on. Obviously, I've got an interest in medical and research recording of things, but it just it was occurring to me with the, with the temperature sensor and then this news coming at the same time that. You know, this is an area of great development. It's of great societal good if you can start to do these kind of non-invasive monitoring of things like that. But it's got to be right, you know, and they've got to get all the regula regulatory agencies to sign off in anyway, in the same way they did with the ECG app. So that's the FDA in America and it's the MHRE here in the UK and all other, you know, EMA and others in, in, in Europe that have the same sort of regulatory governance of medical devices. So there's a, there's lots of things to go through for it to become accurate. But yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. If you if you came to rely on something that was in your Apple Watch, we know how quickly Apple Watch batteries can go down, and you're a diabetic and you forget to charge your watch, and 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 you know, th there's lots of things to consider there, isn't there? Or it's running or it's running in low power mode, for example, and it doesn't quite work properly. No, I agree. I think it's interesting with the Apple software. They've slowly just iterated. It hasn't really changed much since about version two or three. It's obviously the device has got quicker, but it's just slowly moved on over time. It's interesting to see where we go this year because it'll be version 10 of watchOS when they release it in hopefully in the fall. But it be interesting to see, are they going to do anything major for that? But I, I get the impression with Apple, it's just slow and steady because they're, they're trying to update so many things all at once. Yeah, they, they've got to have that slow and steady mantra. You have maybe kind of want to try the sleep tracking thing. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I know I don't sleep enough. So maybe I should start doing it. And that should be one of my goals to just try and sleep a little bit more. Fair enough. Good. I think that'll do us for a main show. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. So we've got a listener question this week, which we did get, as I said, at the top of the show, just as we finished recording last week. And I haven't had a chance to do anything about it. You know, As you can see, we've had a lot to discuss this week. So I'll read this out and I'll endeavour to do it next week. So this comes from listener Joe 
who says, Hi Rod and Chris, enjoying the podcast, well done on getting to a year. Thank you, Joe. Rod has introduced me to the game Slay the Spire, it's great. Thank you. I wonder if you tried this expansion, and there's a link to it in the expansion. It's called Downfall, is the name of the expansion. I've not downloaded it, as I don't think it'll work on my MacBook, but I would like to hear about it if you're able to play it. So, thank you, Joe. Thanks for the question. I will go away and I'll investigate, and I'll come back to you about that next week. Now is there an expansion out for your all-time favourite game, and you haven't played it? So, there's a whole thing on Steam called Workshop, right, where where other people can build expansions, gaming guides, narratives about the game, fanfics, various screenshots, total conversions. So for example, for XCOM, you could download skins to make Star Trek characters or something like that. You know, these workshops exist for lots of games where you can mod the game. I don't tend to do that. I tend to just like the vanilla game as it came from the developers rather than going hunting around all the sort of the community does. But if there's a whole expansion and I don't think it's been made by the developers, I think it's a fan-made one in the way I've just talked about, that's why I don't know about it. So I had missed that. I didn't realise it was a fan one. I've clicked on the link. You're quite right. It's a fan one. Right, okay. I did not know that you could do this kind of thing. So um, it looks kind of cool though. And it shows that it will work on, it's got the Windows icon, but it's also got the Steam icon. Does that mean Stream Deck? It might well work in a Steam Deck, yeah, I would have thought. So a lot of these things, because it's just, it's not a modification to a Windows runtime, it's something that, you know, it's a, it's the skin layer or the, the seed layer for the way things are produced for the game. It doesn't necessarily need the executable to run it, it's a, it's a dependent file. And if that dependent file exists on Mac or Linux or Steam Deck, you're good to go. Right, okay. Oh, I'm interested. It does say it's playable on Steam Deck. Oh, there we go. I will check it out next week, Joe, and thanks for the question. Moving on, I've got an app of the week this week, which is related to this whole chat we just had about sensors. So I'd forgotten I used it to some extent, but I like to track my various bits and pieces of my Apple Watch. It's one of the things, again, as a researcher, I'm quite interested in to see the kinds of things we could be potentially capturing about some participants and about patients and you know what we do. So one of the apps I have installed is Sleep Plus Plus. Sleep Plus Plus is an app by David underscore Smith, who, if you listen to the Upgrade podcast, was actually a co-presenter on the Upgrade podcast last week. He writes a few apps, many of which have the word plus plus after them. He's also responsible for Widgetsmith, which I think is his biggest hit, actually. But when widgets came to the iPhone, he just happened to be there as they were ready to go and was featured in the App Store. I hope he's done quite well out of it because he writes good apps. I think Sleep Plus Plus is his own thing. He, he didn't like Apple's implementation of sleep recording, so he wrote his own. It's really good. I do keep my watch on. I try and charge it before I go to bed if it's got that low. But actually, i got to say that Apple Watch Ultra charges really, really quickly. In about 45 minutes in the morning, even when it's down to sort of 20%, it's 100% again. So I'm okay with that. It gives you a little recording of A, how long you've slept for, how much of it was restful, how much of it was restless, how long you spent awake. You get more detailed graphs about when it thinks you went into REM sleep and things like that. And it just gives you a good idea of how well you sleep at night like and obviously there's a little bit of margin for error for this stuff because you're you know it's on your wrist and you're waving it around but for me i've got hundreds of days actually several years with sleep plus plus data that i can go back to i can scroll through i can see how well i'm sleeping if i'm feeling particularly tired in the morning i can go and have a look i can see if that's been a trend for the week i can try and associate it with something i've been eating or a piece of work that's been bothering me or something like that but it's really nice to be able to sort of set that in the context of everything else that's going on it's a great little app it's not free i forget how much it is actually i don't think it's particularly expensive but it's just been quite impressive and if you want to you can get notifications it's time to go to bed you can get how long you slept last night as a push notification in the morning and you wake up it's just a really well written app yeah i've been a follower of 
David Smith for a long time, and he was actually using pluses in his product names before they were cool. And I don't know if you're aware, but he's actually, or is it Sleep Plus Plus? Or maybe it's Pedometer Plus Plus. He's actually doing a big release for, I think it might be Ped, Pedometer Plus Plus, which is how we started out counting steps. Probably a game before Apple did. I think it's quite interesting. I, Like I said, maybe you, you've, you've spurred me on to try a bit of sleep tracking just, just to give it a go for a week, even if I have got away on my watch. But he's done some fantastic apps. I can see why you've picked it. And Widget Smith, he was there like day one when Widgets came out. And I think he made a killing because he came up with a subscription app and I'm guessing a lot of people have subscribed to it. He does also do a podcast with Mark Wellment, who makes the Overcast podcast player. And they talk for half an hour, I think, every two weeks, just around their developer stories and what, what they're developing and what they're up to. I'd recommend that if anybody's into coding at all. Yep, good recommendation, good apps. And and Sleep Plus Plus does do automatic sleep tracking. I don't need to turn on any modes or anything. It just knows it. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good little app. Yeah, and he's normally there early doors when a new OS comes out to support the features or at least make sure that the software is compatible. Yeah, good. Sleep Plus Plus, my recommendation. So I've gone for Thing of the Week, and my Thing of the Week this week, I've got a bit, bit off-piste, but I've chosen my Lego DeLorean that is here in my shed. It is fantastic. I would recommend anybody that likes Lego and has £150 burning a hole in their pocket that you go and buy it. And you can choose whether you go with the DeLorean from Back to Future 1, two or three but if anybody likes Bats future and lego this is literally the ultimate toy i'm just going to show rod on the webcam for everybody out there and i've got mine in the uh, back to future 2 configuration with the mr fusion on the back but it's fantastic and it's a really satisfying lego build so if anybody's into lego we'd recommend and it's quite nice to do something away from the screen that's that's very good. It's nice to have that sort of focus on something else. And I got to say, you, you recommending books and things like that has made me try and calm down a little bit and get off screens from time to time because it's far too easy to just flick on your iPad or you know sc- doom scroll on your phone and enjoy it. So I think that's a nice practical thing to do. And Lego is quite relaxing, although I find if I'm doing it for hours, it hurts my neck. I love Lego. I can't help but just love it. And my kids, I I fear I've got my children, my wife, and obviously I'm back into Lego. But they've equally got me into reading a lot more. I probably now read more than my family because I've got really back into reading a lot. And I've read more books this year than I've probably read in the first three months of last year. Excellent. Good recommendation. What can be wrong with Back to the Future and Lego? I mean, it's a match made in heaven. Best film ever. Done. Best film? Ooh, no, I'm, I'm not with you there, but it's a good film. It's a very good film. I'm not sure I'm there for best film ever, but it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's a good family-friendly film, which is always good. It is, it is. Good. I think that we can call that a show. Yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, end of the show. Look, if anyone wants to contact us, we are wakefromsleep at protonmail.com if you want to drop us an email. Or you can reach out on Mastodon. Rod is at g5maniac at mastodon.scott. And I'm at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. And I promise I will update my profile and actually start using the thing at some point. Brilliant. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob.